pray, God, that we would understand it. I pray, Lord, we would understand how we are to look at the church, how we are to live in light of the mystery that has been revealed to us in Christ. So, Lord, I pray today you not only give me strength and, Lord, do what I can't do, but I pray you'd work through me. And, Lord, I pray that all of us would have ears to hear what your word is saying. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, if you'd open up to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Next week we're going to be jumping into a new sermon series. And I we got through with our, our series on gospel implications. And as I was considering uh, how to handle this weekend, you know, we hit um, 15 years as a church, July the 15th. 15 years, and we uh, made a decision that we wouldn't celebrate it on July 15th because it was about 100 degrees, but we're going to celebrate that in September, September the 25th at our annual Lake Day. We're going to have a meal celebrating that milestone, and as we go into our 16th year, I think it's important, you know, to look at what, what is the purpose? Why are we here? I feel like this is critical. Many of you are new to our church. Many of you weren't with us when we started the church. And many of you are with us from the very beginning. And it's important that we go over the basics from time to time. If you lose sight of the basics, you really don't understand where you're trying to go. What's the whole point? And so I think this today, I want to read to you our mission statement that's on the wall over there to your right or behind you, depending on where you're sitting. Our mission is to faithfully proclaim the sufficiency of Jesus Christ through the teaching of his word so that we may present every man mature in Christ. And my prayer this morning is that we can unpack that a little bit more to understand really what is the priority of the church What is the purpose of the church? And where does the power for the church come from? And so let's read this morning in Colossians, starting in verse 24 of chapter 1. We're going to read down to the end of the chapter, and we're going to try to examine as we look at what Paul defines as his apostolic purpose, priority, power. Let's read this. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. The first question I want us to look at this morning is, what is our priority? And biblically, what should our priority be at Riverside Community Church? 
if we mess up the priority, we are in trouble. If you miss the priority, you can have a lot of good priorities. But if you miss the main priority, you will fail to be biblical in your approach and biblical in the way that you go about ministry, in the way that you pursue these things. Christ, our priority, when we think about Jesus and we look at verse 28, it's clear right away, isn't it? Him we proclaim. Him we proclaim. And it's really fascinating as you go back to verse 24 and you follow that into verse 27, you see these statements that Paul makes that really identify Christ as the priority, not only of his ministry, but the priority for the church of Jesus Christ the priority that should be established in every local church that exists in this world. The priority that he gives here is really a mandate. It's really God's heart for how we go about ministry. And so we look at this here, and we see Paul's priority should translate into ours. Jesus is the hero of the Scripture. Him we proclaim. Just to give you some preliminary passages that illustrate this, in John chapter 5, as Jesus is trying to be set up by the Pharisees, they were trying to set him up. And what did he say? He looked at them and he said, You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. In Luke 24, a lot of people often ask, you know, if you could be anywhere in the Bible, where would you want to be? Would you want to be when the rain started at the flood? I'd want to be in the ark, you know. Um, would you want to be on the road to Damascus? I mean, there's some amazing places, and I think we could sit around, and we probably could come up with a 1,000, right? But I'll tell you, one of the ones I always feel like is a top five candidate is on the road to Emmaus. Because on the road to Emmaus, it says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What a sermon that would have been. Jesus took the Old Testament and says, Let me explain to you where I'm revealed. But what is he showing them there? He's showing them that Jesus himself, he is the central point of the scripture, the apostle Peter puts it this way in 1 Peter chapter 1. Concerning this salvation in verse 10, he writes, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Another one that I think is so relevant to this is Acts 26, verses 22 and 23. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God. And so I stand here testifying, both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come pass. He's the theme. He's the central narrative. He's the hero. He is the priority of our preaching. His obedience, his work, his life, his death, his salvation, his redemption that he brings. 
It's interesting because we can miss Christ sometimes even when we speak his name. Many people preach Christ, but they don't preach Christ crucified. Many people preach the Bible, but I've heard many times said that if you can preach an Old Testament sermon that could be accepted in a synagogue, it is not a Christian sermon. Because the Bible is centrally pointed to Christ. So even as we look with a magnifying lens, we can look back at a broader angle at all of the Scripture, and we can see that no matter where we are, all these roads, all the Scriptures, they lead to Jesus Christ. And we can faithfully interpret a context, but we can remember where that context fits within the meta narrative of Scripture, within the overarching themes of the purpose and the redemption that is found in Jesus Christ. He's the priority of our preaching. He's the priority of how we function as a church. Look at these statements with me. Go back to verse 24. In verse 24, you see that he not only states it in verse 28, him we proclaim, but in verse 24, he says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. What's going on here? I think that this interpretation is accurate when one commentator says, in what sense were Paul's sufferings filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions? In that Paul was receiving the persecution that was intended for Christ. Jesus, having ascended to heaven, was out of their reach, but because his enemies had not filled up all the injuries they wanted to inflict on Christ, they turned their hatred on those who preached the gospel. He, he keeps going here, and you see one statement after the other of how Paul's ministry had a priority of lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to suffer for him. You get into verse 25. And speaking of this church, he says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. I love this. He was a steward. And he was a steward because he was called by God. And as a steward, he was entrusted that which God had given him. His goal as a minister was not to lead leadership conferences for people. His goal as a minister wasn't to show himself persuasive in his influence. His goal as a minister was to be a faithful steward of what God had revealed to him through his word. The word that has been once delivered, once and for all delivered to the apostles, delivered to the saints, and now he was accountable, and he was called by God to be a good steward and to make the word of God fully known. It's interesting because we not only can learn there what Paul's priority was. He wanted to be a faithful steward. He wanted to be responsible to deliver the truth. But it helps us to understand not only what pastors are called to do, what eldership is called to do, that we are called to make the word of God fully known. And it's interesting. 
that, that this is to be the call of the minister. This is to be the basis of how he approaches ministry in the local church. This is to what the mandate is all about. He says, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. Given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. And then he keeps going. What is this message? The mystery, verse 26, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Love this. It's revealed to his saints. It's hidden. You know, the mystery in Scripture is not the way we think of mystery. It's just simply talking about something that once was hidden that now has been revealed. And this mystery is the message of the gospel that centers on Jesus Christ. The mystery, as he's going to go on in verse 27, to say to them, to them, who's the them? Verse 26 but now revealed to his saints. The saints are the them, to them, to the saints. God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is what made Paul go. This, this, I love this because there's a lot to, to think about here. Why would people reject this word? Well, why would we receive it is a better question. Have you ever thought about that? Why would we receive this message? If you're with me this morning hearing me, and I know you're with me physically, but are you with me? If you're with me in this context and in this understanding, what is it? Were you smarter than other people? Did you have a better way of breaking down the data? Were you more religiously sensitive than other people? No, no, and no. What was the ultimate explanation as to why you have ears for this message? It's because it was given to you. How? It, by revelation. Revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known. That's fabulous. This morning... If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you can take no credit. It wasn't because you had more religious sensitivity than your neighbor. It wasn't because you were in a better place in your life than your neighbor. It was because of the wonderful truth of God's sovereign election. And in God's sovereign wisdom that no man can take credit for, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I tell you, that far from making us proud and arrogant, that ought to make us the most humble people in the world. Well, what if people laugh at the message of Christ? What if they ridicule it? What if they scold me? What if they persecute me? I can respond to them through the grace of Jesus Christ because I recognize apart from his working in my heart, I would have no place for this message at all. And what do we see here? It's now been revealed, and this message centers on Christ in you, the hope of glory. I was reminded by a professor of this in a sermon he preached. 
And he mentioned, you know, in Exodus chapter 25, when it says, And you shall make two cherubim of gold, of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat, when we're learning about the tabernacle. And it's, he says, Make one cherub on the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. And he goes on down and goes on down. And then it says, There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Wow. God desiring to meet with his people. And we learn about this progression of how this is working and how this is pointing to the substance of Jesus. You remember when we were Hebrews and we talked about all those Old Testament shadows and all that they could see. And they were looking and they were seeing these, these, these images and these lessons and it was pointing them to the reality. Well, what happens? Through the grace of Jesus Christ, you remember in John chapter 1 where it says that, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and the word in, in the Greek literally conveys the idea, and the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. His presence, the Shekinah glory of God, was now working through the perfect Son, one in nature, one in substance with the Father. And as he walked this earth, God was bringing about redemption through his Son. And now the mystery is that God intended for those that he revealed this message that Christ now lived in us. Christ lives in us. And Christ works in us. And for Paul, this was the summit of all the scripture and all the teaching within the Bible. The mystery that has now been revealed in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Look at Colossians 1. This gets so exciting. Look at what he teaches and look at how Christ is the priority. He says in verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Do you realize this morning that you're not here by accident? If you buy into the worldview of naturalism, there's no basis for why you're here. You're an accident. You're just a product of naturalism. There's no purpose. There's no meaning. But what do we learn? We learn that Christ Jesus, the central one to whom all the Scripture speaks, we learn that he's the creator. And we learn that he is the one who created all things. And all things were created through him and for him. But he says, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be, what, preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Him we proclaim. He is our priority. The number one priority of the church of Jesus Christ is to proclaim Jesus Christ. 
I tell you, if we misunderstand the priority, we can miss everything. I've told you this story before, but I find it just absolutely unbelievable. I think it was the 2008 Olympics. Matthew Emmons, American sharpshooter, fired at the wrong target, hit bullseye on the wrong target, cost him a gold medal, looked at the wrong target. You, you always, you know, you, you shoot at the wrong target, you, you will miss every time. What is the priority of the church? I tell you, there's a lot of answers to this. Is the priority to grow numerically? Sometimes churches fall into that trap. Our goal is to make our church grow because in that we will see things happen that will be good and godly. That's not the priority. Another priority that's often seen, and hear me out, the priority they'll say is more professions of faith. That's not the number one priority. The number one priority is lifting high the name of Jesus. It's proclaiming Christ. Some people will say, well, if you're going to succeed as a church, you better buy land and build a building. You better have a good-sized building. That's not the priority. Is, is it the priority to be of great influence in Scottsboro, as wonderful as professions of faith are, as wonderful as it could be if God was leading to buy a building, as wonderful as it could be to be of great influence in Scottsboro, that is not the priority, and if you shoot for that priority, you very likely will miss the heart of Colossians 1, 27, 28, and 29. I tell that to you because it's pivotal. It's pivotal. I grew up as a pastor's kid, so one of the things that I was privy to was sometimes misconceptions within a church. And normally the question people have when you go around the community is not, are the people in your church growing more in Christ's likeness? The question is this. How many are y'all, how many are y'all up to now? Y'all running a lot more? You got a bigger building? You know, uh, no. I, but I'll tell you something that hit me thinking over this. I can't tell you as many times as I was asked that or my dad was asked that, even as a pastor's kid or hearing him get asked it, not only do I not remember what we were running at Woodland Park in the summer of 1988, 1989, 1993, 1995, so when we look at this, we've got to identify our priority and be encouraged. The priority needs to be lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. I love it. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. We can trust God with the results when we seek the priority that he has called us to. Not only is there a priority, but there's a purpose. Paul says there's a purpose. And, and this purpose, it goes right in line. There's a priority of Christ-centered preaching, as one said. There's a priority of proclaiming Christ. But what's the purpose of such a proclamation? He tells us here. And I want you to consider this. If we fall into the trap of the wrong priority and the wrong purpose, a lot of people fall into this trap. It's the, 
it, 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 let's run after good causes and we can miss the whole agenda, the whole priority. Is our priority social justice? Justice is important in the scripture. Is that our priority? Is our priority feeding the poor? The number one priority of the church is it feeding the poor. Is our priority programs for the community? Is our priority programs for kids? All of these things can be done right and to the glory of God, but they're not the main thing. The priority is preaching Jesus Christ. There's a time and a place for everything. And we see that good works in Scripture flow out of preaching Jesus Christ. It's interesting because you can fall into the trap, and I've been guilty before, of falling into the trap of pragmatic thinking. It can appear to be good because we judge what we do in the church based on the results. If you do something, the idea is you don't necessarily need to stay according to what the Scripture says. If you do something and it works, we base the success of an endeavor based on whether or not it works. I tell you, it's a dangerous approach. It could lead us to, to literally compromising the truth of the gospel as long as we get results. This is exactly what happened in the 1980s with the seeker-sensitive church movement. It was the idea that the church was not primarily to equip and to disciple the believers within the church, that God may raise up people mature in Christ to function as mature people within communities. It was the church exists to bring in the world. And as long as people are making professions of faith, we grade the success of the approach based on the results. The results were catastrophic. And many people that were at the front end of the movement over many years repented and said we were wrong in our approach because it went against the scriptural call and the scriptural mandate. You may say, why are you talking about this? Because as, as a pastor, to people I love dearly, we've got to keep our eyes on the main things. If we lose sight of what the priority is, we will hit other goals. We will hit other targets. But we will veer away from the truth that God has given us in the Scripture. We look at this, and I'll tell you, it, it's interesting. So many things. Uh, I think the compromise that you've seen by so many in the church with the LGBTQ lifestyle has been a pragmatic, if we show compassion and generosity to the society, they will like us more. They will be attracted to it. A lot of what you've seen with the embracing of wokeism in the church, it goes back to pragmatic means, moving away from the scriptural foundations to thinking, how can we be relevant? How can we reach society? But what did Paul say? Paul says, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to be a faithful steward of the stewardship that God has entrusted me. And my heart and my goal is to stay faithful to the task. Many people say, you know what? We don't need to teach God's word. It's not what people want. Let's change the approach. Let's make it more fun. Let's make it more relevant. Let's make it more entertaining. Let's make it more palpable for lost people. And as a result, they will come to Christ and reach the community. And all of this can look good 
but I pray that we would see it's not hitting the very target that Paul prescribes. He prescribes here, him we proclaim. And notice what he does here is he develops the purpose of this preaching. Him we proclaim. He says, and we're going to proclaim him. We're going to admonish people. We're going to teach people. The word proclaim is, is the word you could use for herald or preach. Not, not the, the name herald. My grandfather was Harold Barker. Not that kind of herald. But to herald something, to proclaim it. He says, we're going to, what's our purpose? What's our purpose in this preaching? And I pray we'd see this and get excited today. Him we proclaim. Him we, we preach. Him we preach. Um, I love this. He, he, notice how he says this. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. This ends up being applicable to those that are in the body of Christ. But I love it because do you realize today that there's no uh, secondary Christians? You may be here today and you're, a, in the world's eyes, a rich Christian. You may be uh, economically poor. You may be in the school system right now. If I followed you around, you may be too cool for school. You're popular and everyone knows it. And there may be kids in that cafeteria that you don't want to have anything to do with. I'm not saying you don't or you do, but you may be the kid thinking no one wants anything to do with you. But I, I got good news for you. The everyone here applies to every segment of society. You may, be the, 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 you may define yourself as the weirdest kid in school, but this message, this proclamation is for you. You may be the coolest kid in school. This proclamation is for you too. It could be no matter where you are, wherever you think you're on the totem pole, no matter what ethnicity you are, no matter what location you are in the world, no matter your economic status, Paul is saying we have a passion and a purpose that believers in Christ grow up in him and they become fully mature followers of Jesus Christ. Do you realize today that's, that's the purpose of Christ-centered, Christ-preaching? Is that Christ may be formed in us? That Christ may be formed in you? That you would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus and that you would come to understand not only who you are, but what you have. That you would live out of those gospel implications that we talked about this summer that that would be a reality in your life. And Paul says, we proclaim him, we herald him, we preach him. This good news, we, we teach, warning everyone, the word warn. I love this. When he says proclaim, Acts 4 says, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In, in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 26, he speaks of that. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. We preach him. We believe that, that Christ is the only answer for the problems of the world. We believe Christ is the only one that can heal. Christ is the only one that can unite. Christ is the only one that can bring ethnic groups together. Christ is the only way and the only solution to all the problems of mankind. But he says not only do we proclaim him, 
He says we warn others. We admonish them. It's the idea that we exhort, we warn against error, and we, we, we seek to be honest with those that we preach to. This is why it is so essential, isn't it, that we are a part of the local church? I told you about my freshman year in college experience where I drifted away from the church completely. I had nothing to do with it. I was in school, and I was playing ball, and I just drifted. And what I found in that year is I suffered the consequences spiritually, being away from God's people. We need each other. We need to sit up under preachers that are preaching faithfully the Word of God. We need the admonishment of the Word of God. But then he says in teaching, he gives the negative example of the heralding. He gives the positive example of the heralding in teaching. We teach every man with all wisdom. We give instruction, as one says, to every person in the saving truth of Jesus Christ. We teach sound doctrine because we believe it's what produces sound people. That healthy doctrine leads to healthy living. We need the word of God. We need the proclamation of Christ. We need the proclamation of Christ in you, the hope of glory, in order that we may present everyone mature in Christ. I love how Kent Hughes speaks on this. He says, Paul's goal is nothing short of presenting to Christ complete, mature, full-grown Christians. He was not into the I'll save them, you raise them type of thinking. Rather, his great joy was to present to Christ believers who have reached their maximum earthly potential. And that would be by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. We look at this and we think, what's our purpose? Our purpose is that believers would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus. Our purpose here in preaching is not that we could learn just more about the Bible. That would definitely be a goal. But our purpose is understanding that what we need in order to grow in sanctification is not man's methods, not man's ideas. We need the wisdom of God revealed in his word that highlights and focuses on Jesus. And it's in that kind of preaching that lives are changed, not because of the persuasiveness of the messenger, but because the power that's in the word, the power that's in the truth. And this is what Paul says. If you could go through all the epistles, remember, in Ephesians 3, what's he praying? He's praying that Christ would be formed in them, just like he says in Galatians. He's praying that believers would understand what? The comprehension with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You remember in Philippians? Here's what Paul prays. He says, he states it really, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. And he goes on, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. The purpose of Riverside Community Church is to faithfully preach Christ, that people within these walls that God has called us to be stewards of, that they would grow up and grow in Christ. 
That's the prayer. That, that's the passion. That's what it's all about. It, you know, it's interesting because he says that we may present every man mature in Christ. A lot of people, this is not just the idea that how does a person grow mature? They need the right diet, right? They, how do you take a little kid and, and see that kid grow strong? It's not through Cocoa Pebbles and Snicker Bars. I learned that as a kid. Um, it's through right food. It's through right diet. What does the church need? Does the church need gimmicks? Does it need fun? Does it need more programs? Does it need more activities? What does the church need? A faithful proclamation and reception of God's truth. That's what grows his people. And if we as a church lose sight of that, we will simply be a church doing some good things, but not doing it to the glory of God as he's revealed in his word. I pray we would see that. So we see when one grows mature, you expect to see the fruit of evangelism by the grace of God. When, when one grows mature, you begin to see discipleship in the lives of other Christians. When one begins to grow mature, you begin to see kindness and unity in the body. When one grows mature, you begin to see. I love this because he's presenting every man mature in Christ, and a lot of people point to the idea that Paul's speaking about at the return of Christ. He's speaking about one day. Paul ministered in such a way that he saw not only the dear faces and the people he ministered to, but he thought of them one day going before Christ. And he wanted them to stand before Christ, fully mature, standing in the grace of Jesus. But the final question, what is our power? What is our power? Look at Colossians 129. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that he powerfully works within me. I love this. He's like, this is the passion of my life, but I operate not just out of my own efforts. I operate out of the power of him working in me. Isn't that comforting? He says, I struggle. The first word he uses is toil. It means to be worn out, weary. Have you been worn out lately? Weary? We can be worn out and weary for different things, can't we? But here he's saying, I am worn out, so to speak. I labor, I'm fatigued, I can fall over on the couch, fall over on the floor, because this is the passion of my heart and life. I toil, and then he uses the word struggling. It's similar. It means to, to fight, to wrestle, persevering. It means to... It's, it's the idea of wrestling. I, I know that uh, growing up, all my buddies that were wrestlers, they used to argue with everybody else saying, you guys are weenies because wrestlers have the toughest practices of anybody. And after I learned what they did in wrestling practice, I think I agreed with them. It was rough. But I hated it because you ever, you ever been on the floor when you're growing up uh, and you're wrestling your buddy, and at first it's fun, but then it gets serious? <laughs> you ever done that? And all of a sudden you're fighting your friend. And you're wrestling, it starts out like sort of ha-ha, and then it's like your lamps are falling on the floor. And, uh, but, but it's weary to wrestle. It's weary. Everything you've got in you just seems to go out of you. And he's saying, man, this is what I toil for. This is what I struggle for. This is what makes me go. This is my purpose. This is my goal. This is my aim. But I do it not out of fleshly labor, 
not out of my own energy and efforts alone. Remember, Peter says, serve with the strength that God supplies. Remember when Paul's talking about contentment, he says, he says I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He gives me the strength to be content. Remember in 2 Corinthians 4, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And then he says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair. And then he goes on to speak about it's the power of the life of Christ working in him. All that to say, you can see this evident in all of his ministry. I've got a lot of passages to share, but you get the heart of it. This power had to come from Christ. He is our power. We are simply earthen vessels. We work, but we work with the strength that he supplies. And here's what we got to understand. If we lose sight of this, it becomes just an achieved ministry in our own strength, for our own glory. And all the accolades that we feel so good about will come and they will go. If you build a ministry on a man, it will crumble. If you build ministries just on programs, they'll be there for a season, they'll vanish. But he says, we preach Christ. We seek disciples growing in maturity. And we realize we can only do it if it's by his grace working in us. If not, it will fall away. We may build numbers, but they may not even endure to the end. We may build professors of faith that may not even possess Christ. What do we want? We want to faithfully proclaim Jesus because he's the one that gives hope. You could be with us today and you're out of hope. You feel hopeless. You feel like there's nothing you can live for. But the message of this proclamation is that the only one that can give you hope is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's the one that can take you and transform you and guide you. He's the one that by his grace can transform you into a vessel for his glory. And this morning, I want you to know there's hope. There's hope in Jesus. But that's what we're to be about. Spurgeon often worked 18 hours a day. David Livingstone once asked him, how do you manage to do two men's work in a single day? Spurgeon replied, you have forgotten that there are two of us. We lift up Jesus. We stand on his word. We believe the only way people will be mature is through the faithful proclamation and submission and yieldedness to that very word. And we work in his power that works powerfully to that end. We follow that with all our heart and might. And we pray that by God's grace, we can be a faithful church. So friends, I, I, I pray that uh, that would ever be before us. Because uh, I'm getting older. I'm almost 50 now. I was a young puppy when I got here. And now I'm middle-aged, and I'm about to be 100% a member of primetime. <laughs> I'm almost 50, but you know what? I don't know how long I've got. I don't know if I've got 15 more years or I don't. But I'll tell you what, life is short. And as a church, we don't need to be playing around. We need to faithfully go after the task that God 
as given in his word and not get caught up into a lot of peripherals and a lot of meaningless secondary targets. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for my dear brothers and sisters in this room. I thank you for how I love them, Lord. I thank you, God, for the guests we've got here today. I thank you, Lord, for those that have been visiting with us recently. Lord, I thank you for this, this church and the privilege it is. I love this place, Lord. I love these people. And, Lord, it's been a joy of my life to be a pastor here. I thank you, God, that, that I'm sharing words to a group of like-minded people. Yet, Lord, we need to be reminded even when we agree with the premise. I pray, Lord, you give us wisdom as to how to faithfully follow your truth. I thank you, God, for the brilliance, the majesty, the glory of Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we would shine forth and adorn the doctrine of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that that would be the emphasis of our kids' ministry, our student ministry, our young adult ministries, or all of our adult ministries, for any type ministry that takes place, Lord, I pray we would never veer from proclaiming the whole counsel of God and the message, the central message of, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the Apostle Paul and how you took this man and you changed him from a murderer to a man who was a, 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 just a servant of your grace. And I thank you, Lord, how he models for us what our purpose and priority and power is all about. Lord, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand with me in these last couple of moments this morning, as Mike plays, Charlie's going to be in the hallway there. It, you could be with us today and I love it because, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. And it could be that this morning, even in hearing about Christ, God's revealed to you that you're a sinner in need of his grace in order to be saved. And we would love to share with you about the good news of the forgiveness that Christ brings through his cross and through his substitutionary death for us. And so if you're here today and you realize, and man, I, I need to talk to somebody about Jesus. We would love to today. But maybe you're here and just take time to thank God for, for what he's done for you in Jesus. And just go to him. And as Mike plays, let's just have an attitude of prayerfulness and reflection as we wrap up this morning.
Lord, I thank you. It's through this message of Christ coming to live in us that it's even possible to surrender because of the hope and the promise of Christ in us, the hope of glory, that God, apart from you, there's no surrender at all. But God, because you come to do through us what we could never do on our own, you change even our very desires. And so, Lord, this is our prayer. Our prayer is is that we would be in a posture of dependent obedience and surrender and yieldedness before you as we look to you. God, thank you for your truth. I thank you, Lord, again for the chance to look at your word together this morning. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.